Hi, welcome back to the CIO Show. I'm David Binning, Associate Editor CIO. It's not often we get to combine the two things many of us probably love the most, technology and food. In this episode, we have the pleasure of talking to four of Australia's top experts working at the coalface of AgTech, bringing digital transformation to the critical task of not only boosting production through intelligent application of AI, ML, robotics, IoT and the like, but also the critical job of ensuring biosecurity and cyber readiness as food looms as one of the latest threat surfaces, especially in terms of malicious state actors. And importantly for all you CIOs out there, it seems as though we may be on the crest of a wave, bringing unprecedented tech job opportunities to our beautiful regions as farmers look to digital tools to do more of the heavy lifting. Joining me now are Niall Blair, who is the former Deputy Leader of the New South Wales Nationals and now Professor at Charles Sturt University. Welcome, Niall, to the CIO Show. Good to be here. Also, Dr. Philip Valencia, who's a Team Leader Embedded Intelligence and Senior Research Engineer with the CSIRO. Phil, welcome to you as well. Good morning. Mark Brown, CIO and Head of All Things Digital at Australian agricultural giant Costa Group. Welcome. Thank you. And last but not least, Ben Van Delden, who's Partner Operations Advisory, Head of Agri-Food Tech and Circular Economy Advisory. Welcome, Ben, to you also. Thanks, David. Now, Mark, I understand that you're actually the first CIO that, that Costa's employed. You've been in the role for about 12 months. That says a lot about the, you know, the, the extent to which digital transformation has touched the agricultural sector. You'd have to agree. Tell us a little bit about what that role involves and what your sort of key objectives are at the moment. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, with, with Costa, yes, I am the first uh, CIO of the group. It, it goes to show, I think, the importance technology is playing more and more in in the agricultural space definitely there's a lot of what you call agri-tech or new tech in this space and there's a lot of focus on innovation uh cost is quite strong in the in the innovation space around our sustainable commercial farming Um, and with so much information available out in the farms data capture analytics data-driven decision making is a real key focus of what costa has so in my 12 months joining really just about three days after or prior to the second lockdown has been an interesting challenge, but I actually got a chance to meet people a lot more one-on-one. And Costa has grown through a lot of acquisitions. You may have heard recently about the 2PH acquisition in far North Queensland, very big citrus organization, does a lot of export. Um, The size of farms and the ability to capture data is huge. And I think that's been a real key focus for Costa, um, my appointment, and it's a great company to be a part of. Yeah, sure. And Noel, you've been working on some very interesting projects over there at at Charles Sturt. In effect, um, a a hands-free, digitally powered sort of farming prototype of sorts. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, as, as Mark said, the, the future of farming is now incorporating a lot more of, of tech. It's about data analysis. It's about validation and also making sure that, uh, that we can prove things either are or are not happening on farm. Mm-hmm. And uh, like most other technologies or I guess most other industries, agriculture is is really embracing some of this change. So we're, we're looking at how we can help the industry um, transition into these uh, areas holistically in a, in a whole farming system um, way at Charles Sturt University. So we've offered up our 1,600 hectare uh, commercial farm that is also a research farm and a teaching farm. And 
and we're equipping that with a whole lot of sensors and tech and and then also utilizing other um, experts within our university i mean charles sturt is one of the largest it uh, training universities in australia so we've got yeah. you know people that have worked in data analytics and you know school of maths now hanging out with our ag lecturers and professors you know putting collars on cattle and and looking at a whole range of different sensors and technologies that we can try to, to help make this a little bit more user-friendly for the average farmer. So yeah, we're certainly trying to play a role in this as well. Yeah, and, and Phil, for you, I mean, there's a very rich heritage of agricultural technology at, at, at CSIRO. Yeah, absolutely massive. Um, we, you know, agri agriculture and food is our, our largest uh, business unit and mm. Data61 is another business unit. and we're one of the few organisations that can bring deep understanding in both of those sort of disciplines uh, together for different solutions. Uh, most recently, the smart ear tags is something that we've been pushing on. We've got uh, a, a, an interesting project that I, I led last year, which was around provenance on the farm and how, to, how do you trust the data that's coming from the farm rather than just throw it on a blockchain and sort of say, yep, it's all going to be good. It, blockchains are sort of like you know crap in crap out and you know you, you want to have trust in the the data that's that's being uh generated on those farms and i agree that uh, definitely making those user friendly is a definitely a key key aspect of making it useful to the different uh agriculture industry yeah sure and provenance is hugely important from an economic point of view and, and ben just throwing to you give, give us an understanding of what the sort of the value of, of, of deeper digital investment in the Australian agricultural sector will, will deliver for the economy. Yeah, thanks, David. There's um, a, a number of um, reports that have looked into the value that can be unlocked through uh, data-enabled decision-making. Um, the um, Rural R&D for Profit um, project identified that at north of $20 billion um, of incremental value that can be released through you know, more informed decision-making. Um, but actually, when you think beyond that, I think the opportunity is much greater when we think about you know, creating an industry around um, agricultural technology for export as well. So it's not just about how we make more informed decisions in our operations. Um, as Mark was talking about within Costas, it's also about you know, how do we create um, a, a vibrant export industry for that technology to um, take to global markets around the world. So I'd say the baseline is 20 billion um, yeah. and there's, uh, there's plenty of upside from there. What 20 billion annually you think? That's right, that's right. So we're more or less um, around about a $60 billion per annum um, production uh, system, the agri-food sector in Australia, um, just at a pre-farm gate level. Um, mm. So when you think about that, it's essentially adding another third of value um, uh, through technology. It's, it's likely to be critical perhaps in um, helping us get out of this COVID, massive COVID debt hole that we're in. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I think um, this, is, this is a really key point that um, digital agriculture uh, not only helps um, lift um, productivity, but I think it also can help us with regional resilience as well yeah. um, as we get you know, more insight around um, what's happening uh, in regional communities, get better uh, and earlier indicators of risk that might threaten um, some of those uh, really you know, fundamental parts of the economies in regional Australia, whether it's you know, climate driven or biosecurity driven. 
um, yeah. you know, there's a, there's a range of different um, resilience improvement opportunities that come, I think, from having a more connected farming system. Yeah. And can I just add to, add to that, like around that resilience, one of the things that we've identified, uh, we have a, a mission around trusted agri-food exports. And we, you know, we, we actually see like there's like a $100 billion target that we're, we're sort of aiming to, to sort of see Australia reach there. But importantly, around that resilience is uh, the fact that the rest of the world is, is upping their, their game in terms of, you know, provenance and sustainability credentialing and, and you know, basically proving that they are providing a, a, a trustworthy, safe product, a quality product. And Australia has sort of been lucky that we've been able to uh, ride on the back of a, a nice sort of a trust, you know, wave over the years that, that yeah. the rest of the world sort of trusts us. But that's only going to get us so far into the future. And we really got to start now uh, adding these extra provenance and trust layers to our products to, to prove to the rest of the world and, and, and not be overtaken uh, by the rest of the world in terms of proving those things. So yeah. uh, I see that as part of resilience is, is, is showing that uh, credentialing for sure. Yeah, and Phil, sort of building on top of the uh, that resilience, a lot of the work that we're looking at investing heavily is how technology is helping us in the microclimates that we have on farms, but that's coming from the protective cropping. So instead of having all of our buried farms in, say, Corindy out in the open, actually having them under tunnels actually creates a whole new climate and a whole new environment, which then technology has a lot to to play a part of the yeah. the change in temperature from one area of a block to another area of the block um, on some of our our farm for instance in um, in Karindi for berries it's about six kilometers from one end to another so you can wow. imagine there's a whole variety of different climates along there then you add some tunnels over the top to protect them from yeah. the terrible winds or the hail that you may have that damages the crops yeah. um, the, the variation in temperature humidity across those is is amazing um it's sort of it's moving away from uh john who's been working on that farm for 25 years knows that it's a little bit cooler in the bottom corner than it is in the top corner um you can actually say to him well actually it's not only cooler but you've got this change in humidity which means when you're irrigating uh, or your fertigation or your fertilizers and things that you're putting on you actually can be more efficient if you do it this way yes. and that that's leading to the real practice of the the data-driven decision making that sort of ben had touched on as well we enable any organization to use any technology we help all companies become technology companies protecting the identity of both workforces and customers Connecting the right people to the right technology at the right time. Okta, one trusted platform to secure every identity in your organisation. Something you mentioned the other day, Mark, was that we're now at the stage where, um, well, you either said we're approaching the stage or we are already at the stage where we're able to predict with reasonable, fairly reasonable degree of accuracy how big a piece of fruit is likely to be in the current yeah, conditions. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's so, impressive so as well as slightly scary. Yeah, <laughs> and, and when you look at um, data that we've captured over many years, that you then get four or five years worth of historical data 
Um, and then you can bring in the growth cycle um, plus all of the, the incredible agronomists and horticulturalists that we have part of Costa Group, um, knowing that this is the, the most effective way to grow and then picking at the right time. And then it goes back to the always uh, the retail or commercial side is our major customers being the big Coles, Woolies, Aldi sort of thing. They know the orders that they want, um, but being able to align orders with the crop, knowing the temperatures and the work that we do do with, say, the Bureau of Meteorology and their work, obviously, with CSIRO, all of these sorts of parties are working together to yeah. use data to actually, at the end of the day, um, my sort of the aspiration is that plate to uh, from plant to plate is how do you get from the start to the finish? Because effectively, the moment you pick it, it's starting to die until you get it to the, the fruit until you get it to the supermarket so how do you do it effectively there's quite a complex supply chain there yeah and now what, what what are some of the what are some of the revelations that um that you've been able to be you've encountered in your um, work with, with the university well i mean what we're talking about here is how we enable i guess every opportunity the, the future is affording agriculture and whether that's in um, being more efficient um, in production, like what Mark was talking about, being able to um, have less inputs because we're more targeted now and we know where to apply the water or the fertiliser or even the labour, right through to the, uh, the provenance and the protecting of what we've got, which is, I think, vital. I mean, uh, this is, you know, we've been all working in the traceability, uh, contact tracing, biosecurity space for so long. And it's interesting that COVID has now brought it to the, I guess, uh, the, the common language that we have out there at the moment. But contact mm. tracing when it comes to biosecurity or food safety is essential. I mean, you know, I, I just happened to be the minister sitting in the chair when we had people that were... Um, dying as a result of listeria coming off rock melons and I've got to tell you been able to trace back on you know right through the supply chain to find out where that came from is vital yeah. and and you know this is where we have some of these tech solutions that can help us protect what we've got because you know we can spend billions getting market access and we can lose it overnight with a biosecurity or a food safety incursion so you know we're protecting what we've got but just going back to the start of my point, it, it's, you know, if it's carbon markets, if it's investment in biodiversity, if it's um, cashing in for, for provenance, if it's having, you know, uh, the medicine of the future delivered through food, all of these things are going to require a, a tech interface and also data. And um, so that's where I see what we're doing now is really going to um, enable our farmers here in Australia to be able to play in whatever markets they choose into the future and, and probably a number of these at the same time because again we can validate it we've got the benchmark we can prove what we've done and then we can actually then you know utilize the different commodities that we have yeah. that, are, that are backed up with the data. Do you think collectively we've all got the technology at the moment to um, have a clear idea about what goes on in wet markets uh, around the world? <laughs> Look, um, I, I think that this is, you know, I'm just going to focus on what we're doing here at the market at the moment because um, I think we've got to be able to get our heads around all of our different types of technology and how we link them together 
um, to then look at the markets that we want to play in rather than worrying about what's happening in, in other markets around the world at the moment. I think communications are a, a bit of an issue at the moment. Connectivity is an issue. Um, yes. There's a lot of there's a lot of crowded um, noise in this space, and I think that um, that we're all working through that together. Yeah. And Maybe if I can. Sorry. But sorry, David. Maybe if I can just uh, pick up on that question about yes. the wet markets and. Niall, it actually reminds me of um, some of the observations out of the, um, the KPMG Traction Program in the Netherlands where we uh, look at the, um, the Dutch flower markets where they, they actually bring together you know, millions and millions of flowers on a, on a weekly basis to a central location to um, auction these, these um, flowers. But they're also doing a quality assessment of them at that point and, yeah. um, and reviewing them before they go out um, into... Uh, and retail uh, markets. Now, technology is disrupting that whole model. It's it's globally leading right now. But the question you then ask yourself is, well, why do I need to bring a rose from Kenya um, into the Netherlands to then send it to Japan? Um, can't I just send it from um, Kenya to Japan and use technology to assess the quality um, in the in the nursery before it's um, shipped? So yeah, supply chains uh, being, I think, uh, disrupted and um, disintermediated by um, technology as well, which is really interesting from a sustainability perspective, the carbon footprint of what we're producing and the impact we're having. Do you think that the, the blockchain is going to play an important role in this? I mean, we've been reporting on, on, on the CIO site that there's a degree of scepticism about blockchain in the enterprise space, but it does seem to be certainly within agriculture, a lot more support and um, proven use cases for, for blockchain, particularly around provenance? I think um, what, what we have to remember um, that blockchain is, it's a, it's a storage location for mm. trusted um, records of data. Um, and what we're seeing increasingly is a trend that people want uh, to have confidence in the origin of their food, the safety and compliance of their food um, and uh, increasingly to um, to have evidence around the production process that was involved in, in uh, producing that item. So um, to the extent that um, we become bigger consumers of data in our day-to-day -day lives and wanting that um, validation of, um, of what we're consuming uh, has come through the appropriate channels and, you know, uh, meets the compliance criteria that um, we've paid a premium for, yeah. then yes, I think things like blockchain will increasingly be um, more and more relevant. But um, I think it's really just the consumer appetite that's driving that, David, in terms of, you know, we've come to expect technology to be able to uh, effectively and efficiently bring together the records that matter for us, whether it's health or, uh, to Niall's example, um, with COVID and QR codes and, you know, instant check-ins. We're just becoming uh, more and more accustomed to having that um you know, speed and efficiency of, of data transfer. And I think the, the agriculture sector in Australia um, is going to uh, really have to accelerate um, our, our leaning into tools like blockchain, but probably be more importantly too, um, solutions that enable the exchange of data between different stakeholders, um, be it you know, commercial players or be it government and regulators um, as well. Coming back to something that we touched on earlier, um, the issues with connectivity, particularly in such a dispersed continent as Australia. And Mark, you and I, you, you astounded me again the other day, explaining to me that 
just how serious that connectivity challenge is for Costa Group. Yeah, I think we have uh, in Costa operate in both um, Morocco, China, as well as Australia, a major presence in Australia. We have about 70 different farm locations. Um, if I rank them from my most favourite location, which is probably our head office, to the, uh, my least favourite location, yeah. um, I would say we've probably got what I'd call satisfactory connectivity in only 20 of those 70 sites. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, if you need to get mobile reception in some of those, you may need to drive to the top of the hill. Yeah. Um, and when we're talking about this, this data capture, um, the big data that you need to do this analysis so close to the farm because you would really have to ask people to stop using email, turn off their Teams meetings in order to get the data because there isn't the bandwidth capability. It's a real um, a real difficulty. I've, I've come from a, a, a logistics background, not an agriculture background, so I'm used to being in major cities with these massive connections. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> welcome to agriculture. When we were really excited and high five the other day when we got our wireless NBN connection, which gave us uh, a 20 meg connection when we'd been running off a four meg connection. Yeah. And that was, and that's something that we've been running in, in a long time. Um, the concept of edge computing literally is um, a PC sitting in a, in one of those donger sheds sitting out on a farm. And that's trying to capture data from all of these uh, infield devices. It's, it's a big challenge. Yeah. Yeah, look, I, I can attest to that. Uh, you know, many many of the deployments, uh, it's it, it it felt like wherever because you know I, I work with Internet of Things devices and you know edge devices and what I call even like embedded devices, which are the sort of really small, tiny battery powered things as well. And you know, awesome for grabbing that level, that fine level of of data from from the environment, which which you want to build these cool models and predictions and things. But every location that we went to, whether it was like Mildura for, for orchards, you know, whether it was, you know, up north, you know, in, on the various cattle you know, stations and things like that, always connectivity was such a, such a you know, challenge. And, and, and it completely makes sense because, you know, it, it, telcos want to uh, scale out on, on a certain number of users over a certain amount of area for, for, their, for their towers. And it may be that, you know, what uh, you know, one property is for a cattle station could be as large as you know three cities, but you're servicing one person. So yeah. you know the finances don't work out there for for putting a, a base station there to cover that that whole that whole farm. Yeah. And um, you know, just as as as, as late as uh, last week, we 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 were having that same challenge with a really remote sort of Northern Territory central uh, cattle station. Trying to achieve, you know, connectivity between uh, devices out in the field, and you know, get, getting that information back. Um, we we realised that for our cattle ear tags, so our cattle ear tag fall into a different category. Luckily, aren't sort of reliant on having mobile coverage. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, those ones have direct satellite comms, so so they work pretty much anywhere in the world, but exceptionally low bandwidth, and it takes a lot of engineering and, and and smarts to be able to try to get that information and push it through one of the things that we've definitely seen though especially in agriculture is it really pays dividends to work on how to compress and sense the right information and even have logic and, and classification happening right at the devices and sending through more um, or less information rather than having all the raw information, which you can you can get away with when you're in the city and you've got mains-powered devices and whatnot. 
you can have that sort of constant raw information and run ML and, and stuff over it. Yeah. But out in uh, these regional areas, you've got to be a lot more frugal with your, your data, but you want to get it, you want to make sure that the data is really meaningful. And that requires a bit more embedded intelligence to, to turn that into high level information that you can make decisions with. So that's something that we've been pushing a lot on. Yeah, and Phil, that deciding what data do I need now and what am I okay to get next next week? Mm. Um, mm. The predictive week stuff is, is more of a, yeah, ne next week's an okay <laughs> sort of thing, um, but there is operational decisions that you need to make now. Right. Yeah. So so some of our, our glass houses, uh, which are running some, some very strong um, European systems, they're actually opening and closing uh, vents and putting mm. drawing shades over glass to get the right humidity and the right temperatures and putting a, a fine mist of a particular temperature of water out to stimulate yeah. growth. All of these sorts of things, you need to have stuff running on site. Otherwise, you can't connect to a cloud yeah. service because you just don't have it. So, and then you can't rely on that delay, right? You know, you can't afford to have that, you know, disconnect, uh, you know, and then come back an hour later and then tell you to spray them because by that time they're all frosted and dead. Yeah. So you, you need Excellent. that intelligence, <laughs> you know, in, in, embedded there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. One, I wonder what the average 60-year-old farmer, you know, what their response would be to define what latency means. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> So there's, 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 it seems as though, I mean, journalists in the tech industry and in the business, um, writing about business as well, we're fond of using this term transformation, you know, and it's, it's, it, it is exciting, but it does seem as though um, we're, not, we're not really being overly hyperbolic when we say that, that we're really on the cusp of a, a very dramatic digital transformation in the agriculture sector. Um, agree that it, it will depend on, on these connectivity issues being resolved. But we're talking about one of Australia's most important and enduring industries that is nowhere near, for instance, the mining sector when it comes to, to digital transformation. And something that we've all spoken about is what we might expect to see in the next sort of five, 10 years and further out in terms of technology jobs actually in, in the regions. And I don't know whether you, whether you want to take that up, Ben. Yeah, no, you've, you're definitely right, David. I think the um, the adoption of technology is going to lead to um, people increasingly challenging, you know, where can I do um, the work I want to do? Where do I want to live to have the career I want to have? Um, and uh, certainly agricultural activity is, um, you know, for some time in the future still going to be um, dispersed across um, the, the great landmass that is Australia. There's you know, obviously yeah. new models around vertical farming systems and intensive production systems, um, some of which Mark's been talking about. Um, you know, but by and large, we're still going to be um, relying on you know, broad acre production systems as well. So um, with that comes the need for a, a workforce with a different skill set um, you know, locating across uh, regional Australia. So I think back to um, the work that we did in 2019 as part of um, growing a digital future um, for uh, looking at um, the impact of this, the pre-farm gate workforce. So um, we analysed the, the role types um, and the tasks that were being undertaken across um, the roles in, um, in pre-farm gate agriculture in Australia and identified that 41% of those roles um, would be impacted by technology um, over the, uh, the decade ahead. And um, 
course, 2019 was pre-COVID. So um, I think we were uh, being conservative <clears throat> in that assessment. COVID has certainly accelerated the rush towards automation, particularly um, yeah. as we've had challenges around you know, cross-border movement of um, of labour to help in those peak um, periods of harvest and pruning, um, getting the crop off when the um, product is right and yeah. ready to um, to take um, to market. You know, if we can't get the people, then then we need something else to rely on, and that's increasingly robotics. So, um, precision robotics is a major driver of that. Um, nearly three quarters of that forty one percent of that workforce um, impacted by technology will come from automation. Um, so uh, yeah, look, I, I think it's it's going to be a big part of it. And if you think about the uh, the journey of Australian agriculture, if we go back to sort of 1989 through to early um, 2000s, we've had broadly a four percent year-on-year productivity growth. Um, and then from you know, 2005 onwards, it sort of plateaued around uh, you know 0.7 percent per annum. Um, so where are we going to get the next lift? And I think that next lift comes from uh, from digital uh, agricultural activities and um, and having the right workforce is going to be fundamental to achieving that. Yeah. And Mark, how, how good are robots at picking fruit so far? Um, yeah, I've seen a lot of prototypes. They're not too good at picking the fruit. Um, they are very good, though, at doing some of the other activities, whether it be weeding, whether it be pest detection, yeah. um, looking at uh, forecasting yield. So... So, so to give you an idea of some of the ways we're using it um, to forecast, say, the amount of avocado uh, yield you would get, you would hold up a physical frame. On that frame, you'd hold it up to a tree and then you'd count how many flowers you can see. And then you'd say, OK, now I'll walk up two rows to another tree, do the same. You average that out and you go, OK, this is what the uh, yield's going to be. Um, now, some of the, the imagery technology um we have been working with a few partners where we put on a, a gopro put it onto the back of a vehicle we drive and drive it up and down a few rows um, at about 35 kilometers an hour bring the data back plug it into a machine push it up to the cloud all of the ai comes in and says uh, this is what your yield forecast is going to be now out of this block um, it's taking the the spot checking of maybe five in a thousand or actually being able to do all thousand trees in a in a in an area now it's that's really cool tech and it's nice to be a part of but it just goes to show the change um and it goes back to that labor workforce as well no you and i all of us spoke about this but no you and i spoke about it most recently um and was touched on earlier in the towards the top of the show about the need for smart cybersecurity policies, biosecurity, food security. Um, I, must, I must be honest, I, I hadn't really thought about that in, in terms of malicious state actors, but as soon as I did hear it, well, I was sort of a chill went down my spine. I thought, well, obviously. So it's going to be a really critical area, right? Well, I think Ben nailed it when he talked about, you know, the disruption more generally to traditional whether it's production systems or whether it's, you know, um, even wet markets or, or traditional logistics supply chain areas, everything's been disrupted to a degree. And we can't forget that that means that other areas of disruption 
usually the ones that uh, that we don't like talking about are also embracing technology. Yeah. So, you know, we have a number of intensive um, production um, sectors within agriculture, whether it's piggeries or, or feedlots and things like that. And, you know, there's, there's activists out there that don't like those types of production systems. And traditionally, they used to go and march up and down out the front or, you know, um, protest about your activities, I don't see them doing that into the future. You know, we've had cases in Australia where they've broken in, for example, into a uh, an intensive production system and, and put, you know, cameras and things in there. Well, I don't even think they need to, to do that anymore. They probably just will come in through their own systems or networks and, and provide the disruption that way. And I just, you know, that's just something that people need to be I think thinking about as well that with disruption, with innovation, um, you know, we're, we're all there trying to do uh, things to improve the sector, but we've also got people that don't like water use, don't like, you know, um, changing land use, don't like, um, you know, using using animals for, for food or for, for fibre production. And they too are also catching up with, with technology. So we just need to keep that in the back of our minds. I think, Niall, when we, um, when we think about you know, the importance of cyber um, in this space, I think you, know, you come right back to those fundamentals of what keeps a human alive. It's, it's, it's air, um, it's water and it's food. Um, and, you know, we have to remember that if food is being produced in these systems, as Noel described um, and, and Mark's running, um, and we're relying on technology, we, we have to be making sure that we're investing and protecting um, the ongoing operations um, because uh, the population's depending on it. It's, um, it's that fundamental. And we're not being alarmist here. I mean, we're actually seeing live examples. We saw the, the JBS um, meets a supply business yep. be disrupted with the, mm -hmm. a ransomware attack. We've even seen, you know, the Water Authority in Florida have someone come in through their system, through their emails, and actually start mis missing, uh, sorry, mixing and, and messing around with the dosing of, of the chemicals into that system. So, you know, this is not just us saying this could happen. We've actually seen examples of it. And, um, you know, it, it, we've seen what happens when people can't get toilet paper, right? Imagine what <laughs> happens when they can't get meat or fruit, fresh fruit and veggies, yeah? Yeah. Well, what happens when they just think that they can't get toilet paper? Exactly. I mean, <laughs> I mean, this is the level of comfort that our, you know, we all have here, particularly in Australia. Um, mm -hmm. You know that that it does take something like this will will really, um, you know, throw a whole spanner in the works. Yeah, and and probably touching on one one of the parts that I've learned with Costa is through the exporting. Um, we're probably all aware of counterfeiting and things like that over stories of the past. But um, what I've come to learn more is the actual cartons of fruit that are going into the markets overseas. That one says a really good brand reputation. Um, other growers, not from Australia, from other countries, will actually counterfeit your logos, your cartons. They'll put their fruit in your boxes and try to sell it off that way. So one of the challenges we have is being able to have our own, um, having your like QR barcodes to make sure that when someone scans that it actually verifies that it is actual cost of produce. Um, that's one of the things I'd never imagined would be the case, but it is, it is active and it happens today. Mm -hmm. Phil, I'd like to hear a little bit more about, you know, your work with CSIRO and, and partnering with um, 
commercial ag tech organisations and, and, and how the government's sort of um, supporting you in that endeavour in Australia? Yeah, I was just, just going to comment on that. Uh, lava labels is a nice outcome of SIRAs as well. If you're, if you're keen on using things uh, that are um, protectable there with, with, with scanning of labels. Yeah, look, I mean, we, um, uh, you know, the government has uh, has given some SIRAs some reasonable funding uh, recently, and we've, we've used that to establish some of these really key uh, mission areas. And as I said before, trusted agri-food exports is one of those key areas because we just know the value of, of, of agriculture uh, to Australia and these issues around, um, uh, you know, protection of, the, uh, of what we have, of the brand of Australia, the brand of, the, of various companies. It really is a, a very important thing. Um, just, sorry, just backing up around the, the um, cybersecurity aspect, that that's something that um, yeah is definitely we, we see as, as a, another critical thing with with agriculture coming in a little bit late to adopting technology and, and riding on the back of massive you know improvements of technology over the last decade. Uh, suddenly you know we're throwing this all in there. We, we it makes you more vulnerable to cyber attacks, obviously, by having more digital systems. And so yeah, yeah, yeah we're you know we and and, and the rest of uh, um, uh, Australia are, are looking at how to make you know systems that are more uh, protected against those sort of cybersecurity attacks. And we had a, a, a good project last year where we we showed how the data is not only just pushed onto a blockchain, but talking about that data trust. And data trust is something different from data provenance. So data provenance, most people understand, you know, immutable blockchains, and yes, that's great. But how do you trust the data that's being pushed into that? So we, we, we're doing a bit of a concerted effort in, in adding uh, value around, around that side. And so, yeah, look, CSRO is, is investing in, in technology development, which allow for better provenance and better trust. And um, yeah, doing lots of stuff around that. Mark, you inherited um, a, a fairly diverse sort of digital environment, really, when you joined, when you joined Costa Group. On the one hand, there were little, there's been little pockets of digitization and innovation, but overall, I think you've you'd probably agree that it's um, it's well and truly uh, there's an enormous amount of legacy debt there, and very much two-speed digital environment that you're trying to, I suppose, bring into the third decade of the 21st century. <laughs> yeah, and I think the the variation. And it's almost like how growing techniques have changed over the years and, and agronomists and horticulturalists have found the most innovative ways of, of growing. What's tended to happen in the technology space is systems have sort of stayed as they always have been. Um, if you think about the, the variation we have where um, we're talking about robotics for, for weed detection, um, pollination robots um, where bees can't keep up with the, the requirement of obviously the, the all of our end consumers and then you have people walking into growing rooms uh, with a clipboard pen and piece of paper and they're, they're capturing that and um, as you're doing sort of some of your composting and, and what's going in and they're writing it up on whiteboards, those old, remember the, the whiteboards where you'd sticky tape the lines in and then you'd write yeah. something in. Yeah. You take yeah. a photo of that and then you'd print it out and there you go. There's your record for the day. Yeah. It's hard to do real analytics over that. So, so there's a big 
um, I don't know, transformation or is it, it's just adopting digital technologies where you can. It's, it's trying to manage both at the same time can sometimes be challenging. Great work going on from like what Phil's doing and then other people are saying, can I just have a system to, to key some data in place? That would be nice. And also in order for you to get value out of technologies like artificial intelligence and machine learning, similarly, you need to change your methodology too, right? I mean, obviously agile, is, is, is critical and probably not something that can be taken for granted in, in terms of the challenges of bringing it out to bear in a company like Costa, so, so large and so well-established. Yes, some of the project methodologies we've always used in technology space, um, that agile and then more of the lean space as well, um, introducing that and when you've got um, operational farmers that you say, okay, we want to run an agile project and they go, what's that? And then you say, okay, um, well, let's talk about a minimum viable product, our MVP. And they go, and what's that? <laughs> and so there's there's the whole, um, there's the learning of as much as we're learning about what they're doing physically on the farm, they're learning about how we deliver. And and instead of having these projects that take two years, um, they don't have time for that. If it needs to be picked, it needs to be ready very yeah. quickly. So yeah, it's a, managing expectations is a, is a key part of what I'm doing day to day. I think that's an interesting um, link there, Mark, because when you think about what the um, the rural um, uh, industry professionals, farmers, uh, producers, uh, fishermen, uh, they're um, reacting in the moment. They're, I think, highly innovative in terms of solving a problem with what they have at their disposal. So um, we, we often use language that's a bit different to what they might use on the farm. Um, and, uh, and and often a bit fluffier than what they might use on the farm, um, but but ultimately we're we're applying the same thinking of um, how do we test something, how do we you know trial it, and then you know from from many of these in the moment inventions, um, some major breakthroughs um, have come. But um, one thing I think that is really interesting in terms of um, what digital does to the sector is it takes. Um, the the digital native, the the, the very savvy um, digital consumer um, that's sitting at home uh, ordering online, maybe having a fridge that's um, telling uh, the, the the owner um, what it should uh, you know be reordering to replenish for the the family's meal plan. You know, it's it's that end um, of the the customer journey that the producer is ultimately preparing a product for. So what we're seeing is this shift all the way back down the supply chain um, of this request and requirement for data. Um, so we, we've got mature at one end and not so mature at the other. Um, that's one of the challenges, but then beyond that, it's the simple mere uh, fact that you know, the, the data services, the infrastructure that's needed to make that transfer of data that's captured at each different stage in a supply chain um, efficient um, to move and, um, and and enable the permissioned use of that data um, so that we don't take advantage um, of, of an actor in the supply chain. I think that's um, where the really interesting opportunity for Australia to really step up and, and get to at least a level playing field with you know, markets like um, the UK, the Netherlands, New Zealand, the US, where these sort of national data exchange type services are available. Um, and you know, from, from our point of view, that's a really exciting uh, domain. And that's where uh, Charles Sturt University, um, CSIRO, uh, KPMG, and a number of other uh, organisations, federal government, state governments, RDCs, et cetera, are coming together on a, 
and a project to develop an Australian agri-food data exchange that, that enables just that. Guys, exciting times ahead. Thanks so much for, for availing yourself for the CIO show and we have to have you all back on again soon. Anytime. Yeah, great. Pleasure. Let's make ag sexy again. <laughs> I think we've got, we've got the headline. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed it. Coming up in our next episode, we'll be talking with CIOs and experts about the potential for technologies like AI and machine learning to be applied in gaining deeper insights into workforces. In much the same way as these tools are being applied to study markets and consumer buying behaviours, they're now being considered as a means to gain deeper insights into worker behaviour. HR is leading the way, using AI for everything from speeding up onboarding of new recruits to charting staff career trajectories, sifting through resumes, and even trying to assess staff mental health and morale and preempting staff departures. Naturally, senior executives are interested to better understand how staff are performing and what might be done to help them be better. But just like with any deployment of AI, the burning question must be asked, where's the line between what could be done and what should be done when it comes to deploying this technology to analyze staff at work? We hope you can join us.